All right, we'll start right in it with the Western Conference previews. We didn't get too in detail on the East. Uh, let's jump into the West. <clears throat> All right, so we're going to start with the 1-8 one eight, uh, one eight matchup. Utah likely, again, this is taped on uh, Thursday evening, so we're not confirming some of the single-game elimination play-in games. But nevertheless... Uh, let's assume certain things are going to happen. I'm assuming Golden State beats Memphis. Um, eight versus nine. By the way, I'm going to make this call right now, and I could be wrong. And, and if it happens in advance, this hindsight. So this is definitely taped Thursday night. I will predict the Memphis Grizzlies are going to relieve Taylor Jenkins. Taylor Jenkins will get fired if they don't make the playoffs. Does he deserve to get fired? No. But it's the nature of the NBA. It's about... Um, Results minus expectations equals happiness, right? So, owner is happy if he if he has certain expectations, um, and and the results are greater than that. If they're less than that, uh, then they might they might let go. Um, I actually also think Memphis is one of these teams that kind of overachieved a little too early. It, it's weird in the NBA. You you really want to have a few years when you're building up of Lotto. Um, and then you kind of make your, your run. I think this is going to sound kind of weird to say Memphis was almost too good, uh, last year. They would have been better off, um, getting a better draft pick. Their their development was honestly hurt, uh, to be frank with, um, With, with the fact they didn't own their pick, right? The Celtics did. They got Romeo Langford with it, um, which was a prior trade. So, which I believe was the Jeff Green deal. So it's unfair, you know, to their management and everything. They obviously, they're going to make a run, and then that leads them to, to kind of kill a year of the development. Um, but regardless, you know, Jaron Jackson Jr., and Morant, yeah, it's an okay core. They need another top five pick as part of that core. Um, obviously, it didn't happen this past year. It's not going to happen this year. And they've, they've kind of overachieved. And are they stuck in purgatory? No, they still have youth. Uh, but I would like to see what Morant, how he, how he develops with the, with the full offseason. Um, and obviously, with a full healthy team with Jackson and stuff, but... Again, if I were if I were Memphis, I probably would have wanted another year, kind of like what OKC did, quite frankly. Um, get in the lotto, probably would have moved, and I love these guys, Kyle Anderson and Dylan Brooks, um, to get that lottery pick. They could still do it. They could still do stuff, but they're limiting their organic. It's it's weird now, right? It's just weird, and I think. I think they want to do that. I think they would trade Anderson and or Brooks or both for, for first rounders and maybe jump into the lotto next year. Who knows? But they're, they're definitely, they kind of just overachieved a bit too early um, and didn't get the lotto picks when, when they needed to. Regardless, I think they will lose to Golden State. Golden State, uh, I just feel like with the, you know, veterans tend to win these games. The home team is going to be um, popping. Um, with these games, I don't see, I don't see Memphis, uh, I don't see Memphis winning in Golden State. 
and, and I think it's going to be too much just to go after Curry. Um, and then, with you know, they finally kind of have a secure rotation. The way Golden State's been playing without James Weissman is, is obviously key. Let's get to the let's get to the playoffs. So, so Golden State, let's say, is solidified at eight. Lakers, assuming, are the seventh seed. Utah, Golden State. Interesting series right off the bat. I'm going to say this. I, I get... So I'll say, as I said in the first thing, right? I think it's super unfair. Uh, I think it's more unfair for Phoenix. But still unfair for Utah, right? If, if you did so well during the regular season that you get the number one seed and, and your prize is to play... Uh, Golden State in round one, that's really not fair. You should be able to choose who you play. Or in a home court, a little home court throughout the rounds isn't enough of an advantage. The NBA really needs to incentivize seeding uh, to make the go- to make the playoffs matter more. And I think choosing who you play in the first round would do that. Um you know, Utah would have been able to I don't know, pick their poison, maybe play Portland in round one, as I noted uh, on the earlier pod. I think Utah will be Golden State in a, in a best of seven. I, look, I think Golden State's a nice little story. I think unless Clay comes back and he's somewhat the Clay of old to an extent, uh, it's a wrap. It is. Um, I get it. They've overachieved. Curry has been playing very well. It's just there's too much of a talent gap. And I think Utah. Uh, still makes uh, too much sense on paper when healthy, which is the key, right? If Mitchell is back, I think they're they're relatively healthy. Um, that lineup, they, they already have, like, the thing I like about Utah, they already have their playoff rotation. They had their playoff rotation on day one. It was, like, it was super uh, set up already for them, right? They already have, you know, Connolly, Mitchell, um, Inglis, Bogdanovich, Gobert, Royce O'Neal, Clarkson off the bench. They already had the playoff rotation set. You want to throw some minutes of favors a little bit? Okay, fine, a little bit. Georgie Niang? Okay, a little bit, a little bit. But beyond that, really clean rotation. Everyone knows the role. It, it, it's super important in today's NBA to have a tight playoff rotation. They, they've already set up for the playoffs on day one. So I, I think Utah wins this and wins this handily, quite frankly. Um, I'm going to pick them in five, not even in six. Uh, I get the Golden State love. They played one well LA, you know, and all that, but I just don't see it being sustainable. They're going to need too much out of Wiggins. Um, I, 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 people are saying Ubre being down has helped them. I think it hurts them. Uh, they need more firepower. Another guy that could score even 15 is helpful. Too much firepower. Um, that Utah has versus Golden State. And look, their defense is good. They have guys that, are they going to stop Curry? No one's going to stop Curry, but they could check him here and there. They're going to make it really difficult for him, which is what you need to do. Royce O'Neal, I thought, did an excellent job when playing Golden State, uh, manning up Curry. I don't see who else, you know, could do anything on Golden State side that's going to make this a series. On the flip side... Golden State really doesn't have the the pieces to, to match up against Mitchell. Um, he's going to go nuts. And then everyone else is going to get their own. They're going to space the floor well. And they'll blow them out of home. It's a wrap. It's a wrap. U10-5. 4-5 matchup. 4-5. 4-5. Which is looking like Clippers 
Dallas, right? Um, let's just let's just confirm that. How embarrassing! I believe that's that's definitely the matchup. Um, I I think so. I'm going to say this up front, right? Like everyone's like, "Oh, the West is a bloodbath." It's not the case this year, really. Like the teams that are below the five, besides the Lakers, are like clearly worse. So, like, the Clippers are clearly better than Dallas. This is, like, a similar uh, matchup to last year. Like, maybe Luka wins you a game. But the Clippers are clearly better when healthy. Let's go over their playoff rotation, shall we? So, first off, I love, love big point guards, and I cannot lie. Batum playing point, chef's kiss. Mwah. Okay. Batum, George Leonard. What a lethal... Uh, defensive one, two, three. All right, old guys able to shoot off the ball, kind of create on a little bit. It works nicely. Then you're gonna then you're gonna have like Abaka and Zubak at the four five. So it's a it's a that's a big team to deal with. Uh, you look at that lineup in more detail. Um, obviously, you have the two stars that are gonna score, and Abaka is gonna give you some, and Zubak will give you a little bit. But then off the bench, it's a wrap. So Rondo, you know, hopefully gives him some punch. They got Rondo, honestly, for the Lakers series, eventually, not for the first-round matchup. And then Morris gives you some scoring punch. And then Terrence Mann, I'm not counting him out. He might get some playoff minutes. Patrick Beverly's probably out of the rotation. But, again, it's a really strong eight-man playoff rotation. Uh, With guys that can shoot all over, that can space, that can defend two-way. The Mavericks, and again, I always in a playoff, when games get tight, you want guys that could, you know, score in the half court. Um, that That's really one of the major goals. So the Clippers in the starting lineup have like two or three guys like that. Obviously the big two, they're off the bench. You know, man can, 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 can be that guy in Rondo a little bit, so... Way too much firepower uh, for the Clippers. Clippers, in my opinion, um, if George was right, really should have made a better effort last year. They kind of taped against Denver, and it was a wrap. So I have Clippers beating Dallas in five. I I think it's not going to be – it's a gentleman's sweep, if you will. Too many things need to go right on the Dallas side. First off, Christoph Porzingis has to have, like, the, the series of a lifetime. I mean, he used to have a coming out party. Like, he basically for the for Dallas to win, Luca needs to do his thing. Obviously, needs to be more of an MVP candidate type, and then KP needs to all of a sudden evolve into a top fifteen talent. You have to be like, where the hell has this guy been? Like, it needs to be insane. And if they do that, okay, fine. I don't see that happening. Um, beyond that, you know what you're getting from Kleber, not a lot. You know what you're getting from Dorian Finney-Smith. Okay, nice. Rotational talent, not a lot. And Hardway Jr., you know, can chuck up here and there. But again, guys that can win you in the half court, the Mavericks have one and a half. With Luka and KP to an extent. After that, I mean, you're hoping Jalen Brunson does something? Really? Dallas, my issue with them is they play the NBA Jam route where they felt we have two great talents that make sense on an NBA Jam game. That's going to work. Well, not. Not if you're um, patching things together 
with, you know, off-the-ball talent here, off-the-ball talent there. Guys that are, like, all combined could be nice eighth men for playoff teams. But each of them are being asked now to be third men on playoff teams. It's a big ask. Clippers in five. Let's move to the 2-7. So this is going to be the matchup of the first round. Phoenix-Lakers. This is a good matchup. Um, again, unfair to the Suns, who had such a great regular season. Like, historically good for their perspective. If they were able to pick their first-round matchup, you could get an argument that, depending on matchups, they would have a chance to win the West. That is no longer the case, unfortunately. It's really unfair. But what what helps them is they're going to be a very strong pick-and-roll team. So Chris Paul, this is the way Phoenix wins the team. Phoenix wins the series. Chris Paul, one of the best pick-and-roll players of all time, quite frankly. Um, so the way the Suns are going to roll out, they have Aiton, so he can roll to the rim, and they have Kaminsky, who can space a little bit. Crowder comes off the bench, he can space a little bit. Again, Aiton, roll on the rim. Bridges, space. Cam Johnson, spaces. Booker, spaces. So it's Paul pick and roll with options to space and options to roll. In Aiton. And who are you going up against? Let's just say maybe one of the worst defensive pick and roll players in Andre Drummond. So Chris Paul is absolutely going to cook Andre Drummond. A lot of the series is going to depend on basically just self-respect a little bit to the extent that, like, will will Frank Vogel have the balls to bench Andre Drummond? That is what the series comes down to. I say he does because Drummond will destroy the Lakers in the series. He will self-implode. What do I mean by that? He might put up good numbers. He cannot defend the pick and roll against Chris Paul. They will do that all goddamn day. So the more this series just depends on how many how many minutes Anthony Davis gets at the five, and, and if you're comfortable and you should be if you're LA if you're comfortable rolling like Wes Matthews, even playing a little Tucker and doing lineups with that, where yeah sure these guys who maybe should not get playoff minutes are getting playoff minutes, you'll win the series because if AD plays the five, Chris Paul is gonna you know he's not gonna be able to do everything he needs to do in a pick and roll situation. So the more drum to me the over under is, is basically twenty two and a half. If Drummond averages more than twenty two and a half minutes, this series goes seven, and the Suns could win. If he averages under, the Lakers should win. I give Frank Vogel enough credit that he will have the balls to basically start Drummond and move him directly to the bench, and hopefully get out of the PR situation, and hopefully if the storylines start talking, hey Drummond isn't playing and all that. He will ignore those storylines. So let's say Drummond averages like 17 minutes. I think Lakers in six. Um, but the Suns, you know, look, it's going to be a close series. They'll have the ammo to to keep this close. I think, you know, you have the potential of Aiton really beating up inside. The hope if you're the Suns, honestly, is... You, you run a lot of pick and roll, but you, you get Aiden involved, and you kind of confuse the Lakers to an extent that you make them feel like Aiden's beating them. 
If they feel Aiden is beating them and they overplay Drummond as a result and they're fearful of Davis getting into injury or foul trouble, it gives the Suns a chance to win the series. It would be horrific for the NBA. Great for Phoenix. It's not going to happen. I say Lakers at six. I think Drummond doesn't play that much. I think Frank Vogel understands that limitation. And they move on. And the Suns, you know, will chalk it off to that first-round matchup, which is fair. It is. Um, but, yeah, they have a good rotation in place already. So I honestly don't think they need to change anything in the offseason as much. 3-6 matchup. The Denver Nuggets against Portland Trailblazers. A rematch of a few years ago, which was a crazy series. He had like, what, a five, a five overtime game? He had a Rodney Hood breakout. He had CJ McCollum in Game 7, leading Portland in Denver in a Game 7 on the road. Scoring some big buckets there. This is a really interesting series for Portland. Is this Portland's, like, last hurrah? I feel like it is. And by the way, I feel like it should be. Let's say it better. I feel like it should be. Um, Denver should win this series. Now, I I feel like people are... I'm going to give... Look, Murray, I think, is really good and all that. Jamal Murray. People are completely overrating him not playing in the series. I mean, I mean, they are. And I'll explain why. So when you lose a guy who averages, you know, 20 some odd points and 25% usage, I mean, that, that those points will disappear. They just get reallocated. So the question is, does Denver have enough talent to reallocate? I, I say they do. And it depends on Will the Thrill Barton. If Will the Thrill Barton is back between... Jokic, Porter Jr., him, Gordon, Millsap a little bit, you're fine. You're fine. Um, without Murray, look, Denver improves defensively a little bit. The other stuff that's been happening without Murray, Porter Jr. Ha- has really improved. He's he's shown that he could be the number two guy on a playoff contending team. I'm going to say it. Um, now, will they need Austin Rivers to step up here and there? Maybe. Monte Morris, maybe. I think they can. Both guys are off the ball point guards. I think they'll be able to step up and and, and shoot well uh, in those situations. So, yeah. So, I see, or rather, I should say, I definitely see, um, Denver, Denver pulling this. For, for Portland's situation, now again, Portland has two guys that could beat you in the starting lineup, Lillard and McCollum. And and Melo, again, against his former team, that's an interesting subplot. Can Melo take revenge in Denver? Uh, could come up big. Portland's got so many issues they need to address this offseason. You can't win in the NBA with extremes. There's something I thought of the other, other day, and I want to express this. Look at all the NBA teams that um, that have won. Um, since, I don't know, the 90s. The last, like, 30 years of NBA title winners. How many of them? And you look at, and in that span, I would say, like, 
the most talented position in the NBA is typically point guard, right? How many of them have really won with, like, a small, really good point guard, right? Like, none of them. Now, you could argue, like, Aton, what about um, Steph Curry and the Golden State Warriors? Well, again, Curry is kind of a big point guard. He's 6'3". And he's really a shooter. He's not really a traditional, like, set-it-up set point guard. Most of the teams that have won, the other teams, like um, Boston, you know, really did not have an offensive point guard. I mean, Ronda was setting things up. The Lakers with Derek Fisher, off-the-ball shooter, right? But they ran a lot of lineups with, you know, Vucevic and, and some height at the one. Older Lakers, Ron Harper, Brian Shaw, height. Bulls, Ron Harper, Heat, Gary Payton, um, Jason Williams, Mario Chalmers, off the ball, or defensive guys. Kind of an afterthought point guards. You know, again, I, I don't, I think the point guard position, so a couple of things are happening in the recent NBA. I think it's two big original thoughts here. One is actually not that original. The center position is extinct. Okay, we know it. Again, Kyle O'Quinn is out of the league. He's not even in the league. Um, Andre Drummond was on the buyout market. I mean, there's so many examples of this. You don't need to spend a lot to get a quality center. Gorgie Dang, I thought, was one of the more valuable centers in the play-in game. He didn't, he didn't play that many minutes because of the, the money he's getting paid. But, like, if your starting center is Gorgie Dang, you could still be a contending team. You Again, you could be an NBA contender with Gorgie Ding as your starting center. That rhymes. The most scarce position is obviously lengthy wing. That's a two-way talent. It's the most necessary thing. You know, kind of what the Clippers have, honestly, what the Celtics have. Uh, Portland's issue is, again, they have an abundance of what, uh, you know, they don't need. So, like, their best player is, like, Lillard, who is a smallish, not great defensive point guard. He's great. I don't know if it, if it correlates to wins. I think he, he could be on a winning t- on a contending team for sure, but it's not. Nah, you don't really need that. McCollum, you definitely don't need that. You need wings, right? Same thing, by the way. Um, is the case with bigs. So Nurkic, like, again, Nurkic is spending all this money on a non-defensive five that can't shoot the three. You want your five um, to do something exceptionally well. If he's pretty good at a lot of elements, that doesn't really help. So either he's an incredible rebounder, incredible defender, or an incredible shooter for a five. Or an incredible uh, playmaker for a five. If he's not one of those things, forget it. So, like, Jokic, incredible playmaker for a five. Sabonis, incredible playmaker for a five. Porzingis, really good shooter for a five. Laurie Markkinen, good shooter for a five. Mitchell Robinson, great defender for a five. Flexible defender. Uh, Yusuf Nurkic, wait, no, none of the above. Not worth it. Just not. I'm not going to overspend unless they're exceptional at either playmaking, shooting, defending, slash rebounding. So he doesn't do anything for me. 
So Portland has this like abundance of goods that everyone else can get. You know, it, it's like if everyone has tomatoes and you just happen to have the nicest one, it's not a big deal. You want a peach when everyone's, you know, at a shortage of fruit. Um, so Portland really needs to adjust and get that. But yeah, point guards at this point don't matter as much. You don't even need a point guard. No one talks about this because they're freaking Utah. But Utah was not running a point guard for like a month. Okay? Connolly was out. Jordan Clarkson, not a traditional point guard, really. And he wasn't starting anyway. They didn't force it. They didn't start Clarkson when Connolly was out. What did they do? They started Joe Inglis, who's the most passive off-the-ball wing in the NBA, at point guard. Mitchell wasn't even playing. And they were fine because these guys are NBA talents. <clears throat> and they can handle the ball and bring it up and set an offense. Look at what the Clippers are doing with Batum. They don't have, what, Reggie Jackson? Reggie Jackson's not really starting. Batum was starting a non-traditional point. It's like Ron Harper with the Bulls all over again. They get height, so that helps with defense. He doesn't turn the ball over, and he sets the op- offense up through a wing. Okay? And then you're not getting picked on the other end, like Kemba Walker on the Celtics. No one's picking on Batum. Is he the best defender of the world? No, but he's fine. And then he gives you the extra 2% of the rebounding edge. So... If you're a team in the NBA right now and you're like, your best player is point guard, um, and they're they have good value, and they're not, and they're like a traditional point guard. Like again, if you're Portland, now we don't live in a fantasy league. I get it. You know, Lillard's a a classic Portlandian. Uh, they have a lot of respect for it and everything like that, um, which is fine. If I'm if I'm Portland, I mean Portland Philadelphia, it's a match made in heaven. For a trade. Once they lose the series against Denver, and I, whether they keep Stotts or not, who knows? I think they're going to have to break up that backcourt. The the height, it just the teams that have succeeded in the NBA are the ones that address their concerns early and they max the value. The best example I have is Golden State. Okay, Golden State's success does not date to when they sign KD. It does not date to. Um, you know, even the crazy draft classes they had, getting green and all that, which was important, and starting green over David Lee and that. It dates to breaking up Curry and Monte Ellis. They were very aware they had a small backcourt. It wasn't really working. And they nipped it early. And they maxed out Monte's value. And look, did they get great value? back? They got an Andrew Bogut. Did he help? He was a little helpful. But it was an addition via subtraction. <clears throat> and it opened up. Minutes for Curry, usage for Curry, but also made it a more sensible backcourt. So you're getting two-way talent from your backcourt. Because Ellis was hurting you on the defensive end. I bring this up because this is is the case with Portland. So Portland has Lillard. They just traded for Powell. They're probably going to want to keep him long-term. So if they do, like, what's their plan? Right? So if if they do want to deal Lillard, if Lillard ends up becoming available... And, and let's say Brooklyn wins the title and people look at like Harden and they want to replicate it. Obviously, you want to max that value, but you want to get better two-way talent. So the guys you're going to look at are guys like Jalen Brown. You're going to look at Simmons. Um, those are probably the two. Simmons is the most obvious. Um, but you could turn it around if you're Portland pretty quickly 
if you got a, a crazy package of Simmons and you know all their assets, you know Maxi, Thibel, picks, um, you know for Lillard, there's a way to, to kind of get out of the rut. That is the Portland Trailblazers, but it's a lesson. You have to nip that early, those issues early. Cleveland's dealing with it now, with the Sexton Garland backcourt. It sounds nice on marketing. It doesn't win. It's a two-way sport. You're going to pick on them the other end. So I don't feel bad for Portland. I mean, they just double down on a strength. But they're not going to outscore people. Their defense is so bad. Everyone plays out of position. So you're going to have Lillard, McCollum, Powell, Covington. One defensive guy is not going to make up for four shitty offensive players. And then Denver, their lineup makes a ton of sense, even without Murray. So they roll with an off-the-ball guy in either Rivers or Morris to start, or or Capazzo. Offense rolls through Jokic anyway. I mean, it it makes too much sense. It makes way too much sense. So hopefully people heed Portland. I mean, look at Portland's team and look at Utah's team. And you can't tell me, just on a player-by-player value, who's better. So Lillard and Mitchell, you're like, okay. I mean, you probably take Lillard, right? You do. McCollum, is he better than their second-best player? Yeah. So why is Utah so much better than Portland? It's because they're a two-way team. Everyone can play both ways. <clears throat> they defend. And then it thus makes their talent way underrated. Guys like Royce O'Neal. Super underrated. Guys like CJ McCollum, a bit overrated. Because, again, they're not giving it to you. They they have nice moments where they win a game seven in Denver. But they're giving it up on the other end. And you could get away with having a couple of guys like that. But having a whole team like that? Powell, Lillard, McCollum, Mello. It, it can't win in today's NBA. And, it's, and if you look at the teams that have won the title, gone deep, they, they have just a, a boatload of two-way talent. Even the off years, it's two-way talent. Are you going to have guys that are all offense and guys that are no defense? Yeah, occasionally here and there. But they have enough defensive talent to make up for it and mask it. Even the Dallas team that won, right? That random year. They had Tyson Chandler. You know, Jason Kidd was a good defender. Barrera got after it on the defensive end. The Miami team that won. Shaq the best defender? No. You have Posey. You have Wade that they got after. You have Gary Payton. The Celtics teams are obviously good two-way teams. Lakers teams were good two-way teams. Both Lakers uh, dynasties, if you will. Orlando team that made the trip without Jameer Nelson that year. There's a reason that without Jameer Nelson they made it deep. And then with Jameer Nelson they had concerns. Unfortunately, height matters in the NBA, <clears throat> and if you have a lineup where you have just um, three to four wings and a center, it's huge. So the teams that are going to go deep in these playoffs are going to be the teams that have good two-way talent. So in, in the West, you know, pending on the Lakers' rotation, the Clippers, Utah, and Denver are all going to advance because of the two-way talent. On the flip side, on the East... It's good to, I mean, Milwaukee, well, Miami's got great two-way talent, who I predicted would win. Um, well, in the East, it's a little different. I'm going to 
yeah. Spot my nose, to, whatever. I'm not making the best point of these. But yeah, two-way talent is necessary and it's underrated. So if you're a team and you're looking at free agency, you're looking at the draft, um, you don't want guys you have to mask. You know, it's just like... It's just, it's so... You know, just take a bunch of granola bars, guys you're going to feel good with on the defensive end, and then, and then you'll do well. And, and then that that's that's how... That's how it's done. That is...